Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. Make sure you stay up to date with all our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcasting needs. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360, and your host on this podcast. Now, in today's episode, as you may know by now, in honor of International Women's Day 2021, this year we've made it International Women's Week at EM360 to promote the theme of Choose to Challenge and to highlight the amazing women in tech and the opportunities available for others looking to get into this field. Now, today I'm excited to be joined by three guests. I've got Laura Baldwin, Maria Manrique, and Rachel Rumelotis, all from O'Reilly. So welcome, everyone, and thank you for coming on today's show. And before we delve into the subject, I want to distinguish everyone's voice for the listeners as we go through the discussion. So let's just get a quick background from each of you. Laura, if I could start with yourself. Sure, Max, and uh, thank you for allowing O'Reilly to come on and talk to you. We love the Choose for Challenge uh, focus. So my name is Laura Baldwin. I'm the president of O'Reilly, and I've been with O'Reilly for almost 20 years and have seen it through massive transformations um, that we are very proud of. Uh, The thing that we're also the most proud of is that we are very focused on women in tech, so we're happy to be here today. Excellent stuff. Maria? Hi, everyone. Uh, Maria Manrique. I'm the CFO of O'Reilly Media. I'm based in Boston. I've been with the company for four years, and I'm very excited to be talking to you about the technology space and women in technology today. Thanks for having me. Very welcome, Maria. Thank you very much. And Rachel. Hi there. I have uh, been with O'Reilly the 10 years uh, this year, and I started as an editor and was fortunate enough to uh, move up the ranks to uh, vice president of content strategy and uh, run the editorial team. I've worked a lot in our conferences and have seen a lot of change uh, over that time period. So I'm very excited to talk about uh, what I've seen. Excellent stuff. Well, in today's episode, we're doing a obviously a roundtable discussion. My job here is just to be moderator, but uh, very excited to hear Laura, Maria's, and Rachel's discussion. And they are going to be talking about ongoing trends in tech and business, as well as what we're looking forward to in the future. So to start the podcast, I'm going to throw out an open question. And this can really cover anything you want. So what jarring issues are we seeing in the industry right now uh, that we really need to start removing? And, and Rachel, if I can maybe start with yourself here. Sure. So uh, years ago now, we recognized uh, at our conferences that the voices that were represented were very much uh, homogenized, that it was basically uh, older uh, white gentlemen. And, you know, as we know from, you know, reading, a diverse set of voices is actually much better uh, in terms of learning and moving forward. And so, What we did was we were proactive in terms of making sure that the the diversity grew by leaps and bounds, frankly, uh, at our conferences. And to do that, it wasn't so with conferences, we have a call for proposals. You couldn't wait and then um, select, you know, like, let's make sure we select more women or more people of color. What we had to do was um, specifically with our OzCon event, I can speak to that. We needed to work with people ahead of time, work with them on proposals, tell them about the opportunity specifically. 
we actually went out to different uh, women's groups and make sure that they knew, one, that they were welcome and that we really, really wanted their voice and that it was important. And then since many of these people hadn't actually been on the speaking circuit, give them sort of advice on what they needed to do in order to put in uh, good proposals for talks, both you know at our conferences and other conferences. And so it was about building that community and then enabling it. And also a lot of conferences have uh, a committee that will come on and help to choose those talks. And we made sure that that community was diverse. And I will say, we saw big changes. I, I think, I don't know, Laura, if you have the specific details, but it was very noticeable. Uh, and I think gave us a better, uh, a better conference. And what I personally like about it is that, you know, unless you see someone that represents you up there, you might not think that you can do that. And I feel like we really made that change for the better. Yeah, totally agree, Rachel. And the data really supports it. We went from having, you know, 16% of our speakers being women to having over 38% within two years. And literally 35% of our keynote speakers were women within a year and a half of us really putting that mandate on ourselves to make it happen. So I think you're right about the representation and really proud that we made it a focus uh, of a lot of people. Definitely. It's amazing to kind of see that jump in numbers, as you say, to kind of rise from that level. Uh, Maria, from from your standpoint, did, did you notice any kind of mass changes or are there any kind of key issues that you're looking to to address? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the number of women in, in, so speaking specifically about the finance space within technology, I think we've seen a significant increase in uh, in the number of women in leadership positions. And I think just last October, Fortune reported a record number of, of female CFOs in Fortune 500 companies. And I think we see that shift, um, and it's very visible in local companies in Boston and California in, in, in technology companies. But I think that where, where I see less, um, less progress, where I think we have to make more significant improvement, is in access to capital and training for women-led uh, enterprises. I think Women continue to be underrepresented at the partner level in venture capital firms. And I think that has an impact on the outreach that is done to women-led startups and in the efforts that are made to fund those companies. I think more often than not, just like Rachel was, was explaining how women find themselves uh, being in the minority, attending conferences or being speakers at technology conferences, I think that more, more often than not, women today looking for startup funding are still pitching to all male investment firms. And I think that has an impact on the entire ecosystem from who gets funding to who gets hired in leadership positions in tech. That's such a great point, Maria. And I wanted to also say that we're continuing our diversity program throughout all of the content that we create. And so um, that includes books. We have online training. It's so it's so important. There are so many gems of people out there that uh, don't think of themselves necessarily as the people that should be doing these trainings. And they're, they're so remarkable. And I think it's good that we take uh, an extra step that is needed, at least right now, to make sure that they're represented. Completely agree. And Maria, to your point about capital, um, you know, it's just starting, but there's there's two recent um, funds that have come up, Clio Capital and Scribble Ventures for people who are interested that are women run venture capital firms that are all about giving 
funding to startups and women in tech. So uh, really proud that we know some of those people as part of our O'Reilly network and uh, think that their mandate, exactly as Maria said, is something that's very, very needed in today's world. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more because I did a, a tech chat. It must have been two, three weeks ago now with uh, Diane Yu, and she um, she offers coaching for uh, helping entrepreneurial women, especially um, minority women, uh, pitch to venture capital firms to build up those kind of small businesses. And and what she was saying on that episode is exactly what I'm hearing from you now. So it's interesting to see that there is progress in, in a lot of areas, and it's great to see from from a speaker level and events um as well but then there's also that financial issue so across the board board then would you say that we are you know we're making strides but but there's still so much further distance to go and and when did you really start to see these kind of changes go okay now we're seeing progress Uh, you know to be honest i think that while we're proud of the progress that's been made women are still highly underrepresented not just in tech but in the workforce i'm sure everybody has read about you know, many women have been adversely affected by the pandemic in ways that hasn't quite happened to um, happen to men. And I think for childcare reasons, with kids out of school and things like that, the progress that O'Reilly has seen over the years has come with concerted effort. And I do feel like it's not really going to change so that representation is equal until every company gets very serious about making that a mandate. I feel like it is up to leadership to make sure that that actually happens. Uh, I look at O'Reilly and just think about how we think about promotions and women in tech and making sure that we don't ignore the females on our staff and really pay attention and lift them up. But I do feel like it's going to be the responsibility of every organization to get serious about it going forward and not just pay it lip service, but really put it into your goals and do the hard work that Rachel and her team has done to make that representation real. Yeah. And I would add that that, that is true. It actually is work. You can't just say something it, it, you know, and to your point, we do have it in our goals. Like it is, it is that important that we, um, as O'Reilly represent, um, you know, the different genders and, um, people of color, but also uh, such a good point that Maria made that, you know, just being able to speak and being, um, aware of what's happening and exposed to venture capital that wasn't happening on the conference circuit or in content. And, and that puts people at a disadvantage. So uh, it's really important and it has to be a focus. Definitely 100% agree. And I think this is going to be an area that we, we touch on throughout the, the podcast here because it's so important to tie into all of the different areas we want to cover. And one of the areas I kind of wanted to shift to here is um, obviously we've got to talk about the last 12 months. You know, no one could have predicted the impact it's had on personal lives, business, and just, just how we operate between the two. So I wanted to understand from each of you, you know, there is going to be this end point, there's going to be this end goal. So, so when life does return to a relative degree of normalcy, how do you see those following 12 months playing out after that? Maria, if I could start with you. Sure. So as for most companies, the pandemic disrupted most of our in-person activities, all of our in-person activities, I should say, um, from our large technology companies across the world being canceled to not being able to safely host our employees in our own offices across the globe. And you know, our primary goal has been 
uh, obviously to um, ensure the safety of our customers and, and our team members, and then to ensure that we're delivering the same or better quality of service to our customers in different ways. So our focus has been to um, first provide safety um, of uh, service delivery for our customers and safety of a work from home setup or work remotely um, set up for our, for our um, employees. And so we're now um, focused on making sure that our product roadmap includes new and exciting, innovative ways to be able to deliver the services that were previously delivered in person um, online. And we've been very successful at doing that. Uh, this year, O'Reilly canceled its in-person events across the globe and quickly moved forward to delivering the same type of um, innovative and exciting experience online. So um, our conferences moved to an online setting and were delivered in a way that um, most of our customers could could access um, this um, service that is much needed for training and for keeping up with technology trends for their trends for their um, for their employees. And so we we are focused on making sure that our employees, if they're comfortable going back to their offices, we have the right setup to allow for that. But we are focused on flexibility and to meeting people where they are, both for our customers and our employees. Our product roadmap continues to be focused on providing um, new offerings that can have our enterprise customers learning in teams online on our platform. Um, and so we're excited about that. We're excited to uh, meet the challenge to deliver more um, and better services online. Uh, and in person as we can. I would follow that up with, I think it's going to be a little bit longer than we had initially thought it back to a, a new normal. I think eventually, you know, travel will be back. Uh, but I do think that uh, this situation has advanced innovation in online sort of conference and meeting technology rapidly. So I think we were headed this uh, to this point anyways. It was hard for people, it will be hard again, I think, for people to uh, take time off and go to a conference. We're all so busy. A lot of times we were seeing that people would hop into a conference for one day, which is why when we put together the online conferences, they are three hours. We get that there's a lot of things going on that, uh, particularly right now that you're at home, might have kids, might have uh, parents, that there's lots of things happening. And another bonus to online conferences is that it isn't just uh, one event per year. It's something that it can be ongoing and it can build a community in a different way. So I actually think in the future we'll see hybrid. I think, I think yes, it's nice to see people and, and, and we will see uh, in-person events again. But I do think that a major component of how the tech industry is going to move forward will be online and and making sure that there's a way to connect and communicate as well as possible from the physical world. And then what additives can we have online? And then in person, so the editorial team at O'Reilly has always been um, sort of distributed. So we were good at uh, keeping in touch with things like Slack and uh, Hangouts, but it, it's nice. It's nice to get together. I, I, uh, I miss seeing Laura and Maria from time to time. <laughs> I think, Max, there's another part of this, which uh, part of your question is the larger sort of socioeconomic issues that are at hand. As companies, as part of the pandemic, are thinking about permanent remote uh, work situations, 
as cities lose jobs because the people who ran the restaurants that supplied lunch are not there anymore. I think there's a responsibility for all leaders, but especially those in technology and some of that innovation Rachel brought up, to actually think about how to train that workforce of the future, how to retrain a lot of those hourly jobs that have been lost as part of this uh, pandemic and its repercussions. I think we're going to be dealing with some economic fallout for quite some time. I think about the commercial real estate markets and what's going to happen there when people don't renew their leases in a few years. And so I feel like as technologists and in a world where we have the ability to innovate and innovate quickly, thinking about jobs, thinking about retraining, thinking about getting the workforce ready for what O'Reilly calls the next economy, sort of what's going to happen next as this economy rebounds and not just rebounds as it was, but rebuilds itself to a new normal. I think that's the opportunity ahead of every company, including O'Reilly. I 100% agree with with all of that because it is very much um, the term "new normal" gets gets banded around quite a bit. But I, I I think there is that forgetful element of people aren't going to want to go back to the office. People aren't going to want to jump on planes and go to events and and do the travel schedules that they want to do. There is going to be, as you say, Laura, you know, people going, well, we don't need leases because half our team is going to be remote now. So seeing that shift is going to be so interesting. And for organizations not to have um, a plan in place is going to be very short-sighted. So it, it's it's nice to hear that O'Reilly does have that kind of um, new economy kind of outline ready to go. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, too, that people are going to start experiencing, and I've, I've been talking about this inside the company, is that you know when the pandemic hit and the shutdown hit, a lot of our enterprise business pipelines had already been built from a sales perspective. And that's going to have to get replaced in this sort of more world of technology and remote work. Uh, I think about all of the sort of leads and customers we've gotten from attending trade shows and learning what other companies do. And rebuilding that, I think, is going to be difficult as we move forward. And then there's a lot to figure out, which means there's a lot of opportunity for innovation to help companies do that. So it could be a very, a very ripe time for innovation if everybody can stop thinking about it as just remote and doing the same things and thinking about it as what do we need to re-enable in a remote world? Yeah, I think that's extremely key. Uh, innovation is is going to be the path to success. And over the tw- past 12 months, we've seen fantastic kind of innovation, but it, it's seen that continuation go forward. And and that kind of leads me nicely on to my next point, because we've spoken obviously a lot about kind of issues that are going on and um, pandemics and lockdowns. But Let's focus an element on uh, on a bit of the tech element. So O'Reilly obviously deals a lot in kind of AI, and I want to kind of pick your brains about where we're at with AI from a general overview of what we've been speaking about. So when AI is implemented correctly, you know, it's game-changing for an organization. However, there's issues that arise from this, which we're all aware of. There's the fake AI that doesn't live up to what it should be. We have bias in AI, whether that's towards gender or race or um, targeting of certain areas. There's, there's, there's so many bumps along the way that we need to kind of fix. So how do we see this developing further? And really, what dangers do we as consumers, but also organizations need to be mindful of? Rachel, if I could get your thoughts to begin with. 
Sure. So, so much to say, so little time. There's so <laughs> many opportunities and um, major speed bumps. I will say that to this point, a lot of uh, AI projects have been with the really big uh, tech companies. And I think that sort of everyone else is sort of dipping into more and more complex AI as uh, time goes on. The more simple uh, AI where there's what we call human in the loop, I think that, that you're seeing that a lot. And that is something as simple as, like I know a long time ago, we saw um, a hotel where they texted you and were like, need towels, need anything? Let us know. And so you would text them and they would bring something to your room. So that that's a very simple example of AI. But it's getting, to your point, much more complex. Um, there's facial recognition. There's uh, voice-enabled items. And so what's what we're finding happening with the people um that are uh using our content on the O'Reilly platform is that people are actually starting to take this into a uh, production experience right and so what i hope they've been doing all along is trying to figure out exactly that um do, are their algorithms making sense do how what how do they react in uh production uh how I think that they've been there's been testing and there's been ways to figure out to a certain extent what's going to happen with your AI software or product but being in production is different and I think you need to have um an action plan in place to deal with implicit bias because it's implicit and you didn't realize it was there I think that's a big uh problem I think uh identity identity privacy security these are all issues that have come up and to really um, make sure that it's something that you can deal with at the point of production. It's something you would have had to be um, thinking about early on and, and putting together your own sort of AI governance plan. Um, AI ethics and bias in general, I think what's really important right now is that we keep talking about it. And this goes back to diversity and make sure that it is a diverse bunch of people in any which way whether it's um, you know economic, gender, uh, color, anything, anything, um, to make sure that that discussion continues and that we are absolutely rigorous about trying to um, find it because it, the AI AI is a reflection of the programmer or programmers that make it, and so um, I think it's going to be an interesting road. I think there's going to be good things and bad things, and we just need to make sure that we um, address both. Yeah, Rachel, I agree. I think that you made a really good point about sort of AI being reserved for the large tech companies, which has was really the truth a few years ago. But I have to say, when I look at all of the cloud providers today, the ones we know about, Microsoft Azure, Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud Platform, they are starting to build AI features into their cloud services. And what that means is they've democratized AI for a lot of the smaller companies who may not be able to afford an AI engineer or a data scientist on their team. That being said, paying attention to the bias that gets created in those models, and I'll use AutoML as an example, uh, which is a feature built into all of the cloud providers. Um, I worry that companies are outsourcing their AI and not really realizing it's still their responsibility to make sure the models that they're using don't have bias and are thoughtful and are in some way checked and counter-checked in their own organizations. 
I think that's going to be the test of the future is that we've got to be careful not to allow with this huge migration to the cloud, three or four major providers to be the AI deciders of algorithms that everyone uses going forward. And I think while it's democratizing AI, it's not democratizing where the bias is being built in. And so that's going to be a challenge for the tech industry and companies overall. Going even, that is such a good point, Laura. And then going back even further, it's about open data sets and where we're getting the data from, right? Because that's what's feeding the beast of AI. So it's, uh, I I just can't say, I think we need to look at it from the beginning because what happens is, you know, AI, well, not only came about, but came about because like processing all the data became too much for us humans. And so we need the AI to do it. So any, um, any problems with the data, any bias in the data, it's just going to be so magnified. And so I think it is important. Um, it is important to look at your own data sets, to look at any data sets that you use. And as Laura said, there is a skill shortage, a shortage, excuse me. And so people are going to use things that are sort of generally called um, auto ML, right? And these are part of um, the cloud vendor offerings and they're great, but so true that you have to know this is all about like sort of transparency in machine learning and understanding like what is that algorithm don't take for granted that it's doing what it's doing you need to know and i think in regulated industries this is something that people think about more like you know how are we deciding who to give loans to um so i think this has come up but this is something that will i don't even say might will trickle to everything every sort of like retail anything. So we have to be very cognizant and careful. Like basically I'm saying, even if you do outsource this, as Laura said, like you have to be aware of what that outsourcing actually means. Yes. And, and I think that companies need to be intentional in their efforts to understand what's happening behind the scenes, how the design work and the decisions being made at high levels are having impact, uh, an impact on equity and inclusion. And, you know, I, I think that that's something that O'Reilly is ideally positioned to do because of whom we have in, in leadership positions and because of our reach um, in the technology space. Um, we manage and we we deal with providing services with technology leaders. And so we, we are ideally positioned to have an impact in who is sharing thoughts around the work being done in the space and what things people need to be mindful of when decisions are made and systems are built. And so I'm excited to be to be in this space and play a role in it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, who I, I don't know who said it, but long ago that every company is a software company. Every software is going to be an AI company. And so I think as as business people who who may not be literally coding, there needs to be an understanding of all of these things. And I think we've seen that, that there is still a lot to learn for the not the coders. I mean, I still think there's a lot to learn for for those people, but just business people understanding what this means to how you decide things and what you're presenting to your consumers. It's um, business people. I think have had to get more and more technical. I mean, AI is one example. Cloud is another example. These are hard things, and while you don't necessarily have to be in there keying in the code, you definitely have to understand how to translate. AI problems to business problems and vice versa. Hundred percent agree, and I, I think you've hit some very, very key areas there. We could do a, not only a 
whole podcast episode on on AI, but we could do a whole series probably <laughs> to, to cover all of the issues and things that people need to be aware of. Like, I think very key is understanding that you know AI isn't just a label. It, it's so important for organizations to get right and to have practices put in from the ground starting, not install it because it's flashy, but understand its purpose, why it's going to be beneficial, and really kind of uh, take the organization ahead. So excellent points from from all of you there. Appreciate that. So to kind of wrap up the conversation here, um, it's, it's been a pleasure speaking to all three of you. And I wanted to kind of get some final thoughts from from each of you, because as I mentioned at the top of the show, at EM360, we've expanded the whole week to make our content female-focused to showcase really the amount of women in tech and the opportunities available. And this ties in nicely to what we were talking about at the start of the show here. So from my perspective and, and everyone else's, you know, all three of you are at the top of your game in what in what you do and in the industry that you're at. So what advice would you give to women who are still grinding in the early stages of their career, or, you know, even just thinking about getting started in this space? Laura, could you kick us off? Sure. I mean, I... I've said all along that the the thing that women have to pay attention to is I think they have to stop thinking of themselves as women in tech. I think they need to understand that they need to have a voice, that they need to to be able to speak up, to say when they want something, to go after what they want aggressively. And if they are working at a company that doesn't support that, find another company. There are many that do, and I think that they need to understand that they're not different than men in tech, that they are just as smart, just as capable, and there are plenty of companies out there that are willing and want to bring that kind of diversity into their uh, company and organizations. So I encourage women to speak up. Don't be afraid uh, because there are people who want to hear your voice. You just have to find them. Find your spot, I think, is uh, the most important thing, I, advice that I would give, and not to be afraid. Yeah, so more, more focused on um, making progress in a career within finance in the technology space. I think, for me, curiosity and a desire to learn about topics outside of my core finance area of expertise has been key. So I mean, progressing as a senior finance professional in the technology space has meant, for example, cultivating an interest in understanding the process of software development, understanding technology trends and, and product design, and putting significant uh, energy into learning from my peers who lead other areas of the organization so that I can be impactful um, in my role and how I support them. Yeah, I would say that I think with women imposter syndrome is even worse. I know everyone can get it. And I guess I would say, fake it till you make it. And that you are, you can be the best person that you envision yourself to be. And if you can't tell yourself that right now, find a group of people that will encourage you to be that person uh, and find mentors like I have uh, that will encourage you to be that person. And I think slowly your confidence will grow. And I guess I would also just say, be yourself because you are going to find the place that makes sense for you. You want it to be somewhere that you enjoy being frankly, cause you're probably going to be doing a lot of work and, um, just take it day by day. It's, it's hard times right now. So <laughs> take it day by day. You're doing a good job. That's it. I guess just be positive. 
Yeah, I think that's that's excellent advice. And it's interesting you mentioned there about the the imposter syndrome because I, I know that does affect women a lot more, especially in in the tech space. So it, it's interesting to kind of raise that point up. Um, and also, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head of just kind of be yourself. No one should have to pretend to be who they want to be to to fit into an expectation of an organization. Yes, STEM and tech and enterprise tech is very male orientated without a doubt, but um, there are support there and you can reach out to people like Laura, Rachel and Maria to, to kind of get that kind of support. And, you know, there's, there's always going to be a network available and it's nice to see a lot of organizations kind of developing that kind of insight, especially from a young age and encouraging young women who are still in school to get into the STEM subjects and the sciences and, and push that kind of tech envelope forward um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of progresses and, and goes forward. How are you guys viewing that kind of approach? Yeah, so I speak about this a lot. I'm adamant that the problem that people call women in tech actually is not doesn't start in the tech companies. It starts in third grade when uh, little girls are told, uh, you know, math and science is hard. And there's all kinds of available statistics about how young girls are falling out of STEM early on. And a, com- a lot of companies have addressed that. There's a company called Goldilocks that does sort of building blocks, engineering type um, games for little girls to help them understand that, you know, it's not hard, that they can do it. And I think that the education systems today are really failing our children. When you look at what's happening across the world where they're teaching kids to code in second grade or making them understand that coding is a language that can be used. And I'm not saying everybody has to go into tech, but having a basic understanding of it, like Rachel said, every company is going to be an AI company 10 or 15 years from now. You, We have to teach our kids now what that means, and it needs to be part of their educational curriculum. So the problem of women and women in tech and women in general as leaders is that they're pushed down at a very young age. It's that old, you know, ban bossy. You tell little girls who are being aggressive that they're being bossy and we tell little boys they're being leaders. So changing technology, changing women in technology, women in leadership, women in finance across the board, women in AI is going to require our education systems to get up to speed with where the world is actually going. And I'm a huge proponent of uh, massive educational change because I think uh, we're really falling behind. Yes, to all of that. I think that, you know, it's in the 80s, I think, as far as like uh, computer technology and coding, um, in the 80s, they started advertising video games and computer games to boys more than girls. And I think that, that that has been shown to have pushed girls away from technology. I was lucky enough to have a brother that was super into video games. And so I was like, okay. But uh, so I think that, I think that's changing. And I think to your point, like, gosh, I I wish we had coding classes and frankly, personal finance and all of that type of stuff early on. And I know, I mean, I personally, and this goes back to the question that you asked before, I try to purposefully, whether it's with my nieces or some random woman that reaches out to me that's new in her career, I make time for that person because it may, you may think, oh my God, why me? Or, um, you know, what, what can I offer? Like, how will this impact someone 
I think it impacts them a lot. And I think it's really important. And that, again, we have to be, I went through a period where I was like, maybe we shouldn't like call it out. Like, cause it's just like, let's, let's, you know, it should be like, it's normal, like women and men and people of color and everyone can be leaders, but we have to, we have to call it out. We have to be rigorous. And, um, I think only by building up these networks and ways for people to learn, like, you don't know, we think about this in our content platform a lot, right? You don't, when you start to go, I remember when I started O'Reilly, they told me, they were like, oh, we use Subversion. I didn't know if that was a noun. And so if you don't know the landscape, Subversion's a version control system, but um, if you don't know the landscape, you don't even know where to start. So someone has to be like, oh, hey, look at this. I think that's so important at the beginning. Just tell people the possibilities. Not everyone has to be in tech, but let them know that everyone can do that and put speakers like we put, a, um, I want to say she was 14 at the time, 14 year old African-American uh, young woman on stage at OzCon like five or six years ago. Make sure people are represented. 100% agree. Maria, do you have any kind of final thoughts on this area? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that um, it's important for, for women who are starting in any field to make sure that they are uh, they have the resources necessary to make an impact in, in, in the core activity that they're going to be responsible for, but also an understanding of key trends in the industry that they're entering and, um, you know, the, the topics that matter, right? So be well informed of the things, the trends, the key trends um, in your industry so that you can make connections between your area of responsibility and core um, core strategic projects for the company or core initiatives for the company so that you can have um, impactful conversations with other people in your team, with your managers. I would say focus not only on being a superstar individual contributor, but focus on also on learning about the ecosystem so that you can really be on the field um, being a superstar in your role, in your lane, but also collaborating and making an impact um, for others in their role. 100% agree. And I think that's a, a perfect kind of note to end on there. Uh, some great advice from all three of you. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to all three of you today. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me and uh, give, give your insights on these subject matters. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Really lovely conversation. Thank you. Always good to talk with Laura and Maria. Wonderful. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We do hope you took a lot away. If you are looking for more information, we have lots of resources on our site, as well as you can head on over to O'Reilly.com for a lot of great insights and to, to reach out to people over there. Please join the conversation at em 360 tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with another episode in our EM360 podcast. Until then, please check out the rest of the great content that we've got coming up this week for International Women's Day. And you can reach that at em360tech.com. Mm-hmm.